0: So let's open our Bibles together to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7 is where we will be this morning. Matthew 7, beginning in verse 24 through 27, contains the parable of the wise man and the foolish man. Jesus says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall, because it had been founded on the rock." And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were Astonished at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. The flood of 1913 is the greatest natural disaster that the state of Ohio has ever seen. In some parts of the state, the only way to reduce the flooding was to blow up the canal locks with dynamite, thus ending canal transportation in the state of Ohio. 428 people died. Over 20,000 homes destroyed by the water. In some parts of the state, the water reached 20 feet deep. Such was the case in downtown Dayton. And there have been other floods throughout the history of our state, but that is by far the worst. But floods come and go, great and small. Most recently, 2018, was a major flood. Floods will come and go. Storms will come and go. Unexpected things happen in life. The question is, do you have a foundation that is solid enough to withstand any and every kind of storm that may come your way? In this parable of the wise man and the foolish man, Jesus is making it very clear that there is a big idea that we need to think about this morning, and that is that there, is, there are only two ways to live. And this applies to everyone. There is the wise way, and there is the foolish way, and no one escapes either. You and I, by the choices we make, based upon our belief system, either build a foundation of obedience to God's word, which is the wise thing to do, or we build a foundation on the sand of foolishness and it will never be able to stand up to the storms of life. Now, this parable that we're going to look at in detail is the conclusion of Jesus' most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. So if you look back to chapter 5, we can see the introduction to the sermon. Because a good sermon has a good introduction, it also has a good conclusion, which ties everything together. So let me help you to see how the introduction to Jesus' sermon starts a theme that runs through the whole sermon and ends with this parable that we're going to look at. Matthew 5 says that seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So there's the audience. There are crowds of people who have been following Jesus and there are also his disciples. And so there is a mixed audience here as there was always in Jesus' teaching. There was a mixed audience of unbelievers and believers. Those who were not disciples and those who were who were disciples, those who were fake disciples and those who were true disciples. And Jesus then opens his mouth and teaches them, saying, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, Blessed is the sinner who recognizes his spiritual bankruptcy before God and humbles himself before God to receive the Savior who is the King of the kingdom of heaven. For those sinners who humble themselves before this Savior, the kingdom belongs to them. And verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In other words, blessed are those sinners who grieve over their spiritual condition. Blessed are they who mourn over their spiritual bankruptcy and their lostness before God. And they shall be comforted. How? They shall be comforted by the Savior. They shall be comforted by the one who bore our sins and our griefs in his body on the cross and now promises to take all of our sins away if we will turn to him. And verse 6, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are those sinners who understand they have no righteousness of their own to offer to God in exchange for their sin. But they must come to Christ as poor, needy, Bankrupt, broken sinners who know that if they do not have a righteousness that is gifted to them by God, they shall never stand before God justified. And so they hunger and they thirst for a righteousness outside of themselves, and as a result, they shall be Satisfied when they find that righteousness in Jesus and not in themselves and not in their religion. And this is the introduction to this sermon where Jesus repeatedly deals with issues of the heart because the religion of the day was all about outward appearance. It was all about outward religious do's and don'ts. And if you followed the rules of the Pharisees and the scribes, then you were okay. Jesus says, no, you're not okay. What you need is me. Jesus was saying, you need to be transformed from the inside out that's the difference between moralistic religion and true christianity moralistic religion focuses on outward change that hopefully will someday creep inside and change the person that that doesn't work that doesn't happen it's contrary to the way that god created us god created us as wanters that is we want things we desire things and god created us that way Problem is, sin has corrupted our desires, and we need the Savior. And we need the Holy Spirit to transform us from the inside out. So religion says you can be changed from the outside in and then maybe you'll be acceptable to God. But true Christianity says, no, what you need is to be born again. You need a spiritual rebirth whereby the Holy Spirit comes into your life through faith in the gospel and you are changed progressively from the inside out. that was something the Pharisees and the scribes didn't get. But that's what his sermon really is essentially about. So then when he comes to the conclusion, he's wrapping up this whole concept that there are only two ways to live, and this applies to everyone. What are these two ways to live? Well, you're either for Christ or you are against Christ. That's what Jesus taught. In fact, Jesus himself says that. Whoever is not with me is against me. There are two ways to live. You are either for Christ or you are against Christ. You cannot be somewhere in the middle. And yet we live in a world filled with many people who profess to be for Christ They profess to be Christians. And yet if you look at the way they live and you look at their belief system and you look at the cultural things that they are embracing, you must conclude that actually they are against Christ. Because you can't be both. You can't be for Christ and against him. Jesus says, we are one or the other. And he elaborates on that in this latter part of the sermon. Let's go backwards a little bit to uh, verse 13. Because here we see four examples of these two ways to live. The first is that there are two gates and roads. He says in verse 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide And the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. The gate and the road of Christian discipleship is narrow, and it is hard. But Jesus says it leads to life. It leads to eternal life in the future, and it leads to abundant life in the here and now. But following Christ is not easy. It's a narrow gate. That is, there's only one way into the kingdom, there's only one way in and that is it's a narrow gate and Jesus is that only way in. It's not a wide gate where everybody can choose their own religion because everybody ends up in the same place anyway. It's a narrow gate as one way through and it is through repentance and faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord It's a narrow gate. But the gate that's wide is easy. If you want an easy life, let me just tell you this morning if you want an easy life, do not become a Christian, do not become a follower of Christ. Because Jesus will call you to live in some ways that are very hard. It's hard to turn away from sin. It's hard to put our sin to death daily. It's hard to take up our cross and follow Jesus. It's easier to just hop on a boat and coast downstream with everyone else in the world. But it's hard to swim upstream, isn't it? It's a narrow gate. It's a hard road. But the amazing thing about the narrow and hard road is that it leads to life. It leads to eternal life. It leads to life in Christ. And the comforting thing for us who follow Christ on this narrow road is that we're not alone as we follow the Lord Jesus. He has given us his spirit to dwell within us. He has given us each other to swim upstream together. Not alone. There are two gates and roads. The narrow road leads leads to life. The wide road leads to destruction. And the opposite of eternal life, which is eternal damnation in hell. Two ways to live. Two gates, two roads. There are also two kinds of prophets. Prophets. Two kinds of prophets, Jesus says in 15, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They come dressed like any other shepherd. See, shepherds wore sheep's clothing. Shepherds wore clothing made out of the skin of their sheep and the wool. And these false prophets come in in sheep's clothing so outwardly they look fine like the Pharisees and the scribes. Outwardly they did the things that they were supposed to do whether God commanded them or whether they were part of the hundreds of rules that they added on top of God's law. They look good on the outside. Jesus says they were whitewashed tombs. You can make a coffin look really pretty but it's still just a coffin and inside it's still the same as a pine box. You could spend $20,000 on a real fancy coffin or you can do as I've told my wife to do, put me in plywood. It's just a box. Inside is death that's the way it was for the pharisees you will recognize them by their fruits how will you tell a false prophet from a true prophet well you will tell by their fruits and so jesus then borrows an illustration here from the natural world are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Obvious answer, no. Right? So, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. So, false prophets abound. And they preach this easy. Road, this easy gate that leads to destruction. They're a diseased tree that bears bad fruit. Anyone who raises fruit trees knows that if you find a diseased tree in your orchard, you better cut it down, you better destroy it, because it will affect the other's. And so these false prophets will be cut down and thrown into the fire, Jesus says in verse 19. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. There are true prophets who are faithful to God's word and preach Christ and Christ alone and the hard road of discipleship. And there are false prophets who preach, Any way to God, live as you please. God is a God of abounding mercy and love and he will eventually accept everyone into heaven. Such is the lie that leads so many to hell. But the true prophet sticks with the word of God. Spurgeon said the preaching of some is so watered down that there is not enough left to make soup for a sick grasshopper. Unfortunately, that is true. If it's true in Jesus' day, it's true in our day. God's people crave God's food and God's food is found in God's word. So you can have false prophets who can gather massive crowds in a stadium for a feel-good, tickling kind of message. But there is... An end to that prophet and those he deceives. There are also two kinds of disciples, Jesus says. Verse 21 Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. See, now he's leading into that final parable that we're going to look at, that final comparison. There are two kinds of disciples. In other words, not everyone who says they're a Christian is a Christian, is what Jesus is saying. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who is true does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, Jesus says, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. On judgment day, there will be many, Jesus says, many professing Christians who pull out their resume before him and start reciting all of the things that they did for him. All of the ways that they served the church. All of the ways that they cared for the homeless and the poor in the community and and all of the things that could be done in the name of Jesus. And yet, Jesus will say to some of them, I don't recognize you. You are not a part of my family and you never have been. See, it's not that Jesus will weigh out all the works and then he will say, well, some of you had salvation, but you're going to lose it. No, no, no. He's going to say, some of you thought you had salvation and you never had it to begin with. Many are those who think Jesus is a wonderful solution to their problems. And once their problems eh, don't feel quite as serious as they were before, Jesus isn't needed anymore. That is not genuine faith. That is not genuine salvation. Those are like the seeds that are cast along the path that never bear fruit. And then finally, we come to the passage that we want to stay in a little bit longer, and that is, there are two foundations. So there are two gates, two kinds of prophets, two kinds of disciples, and Jesus says there are two foundations. So Jesus now explains the foundation of all who are either Believers, true disciples, or false disciples. They are either wise or foolish. They are either following Christ by following his word, or they are only following Christ in name only, and the Bible has no authority over their life. Moody Bible Commentary says this Just as there are wolves among the sheep and tares among the wheat until the end, so do the houses of the wise and foolish stand side by side until the Son of Man comes to judge and take his throne. There will be wise and there will be foolish. Well, let's look at the wise first. Notice that if you are for Christ, then you are wise because you submit to the word. This is so important to see. Because every time I teach this passage of Scripture throughout the years, I've asked people, what is the rock in this parable? And almost every time, someone says, it's Jesus. And I like to say to you, it sounds so good, but you're wrong. It's actually obedience to the words of Jesus. It's more specific than the right Sunday school answer for all children. Jesus. It's obedience to the words of Jesus. I didn't make that up. Look what Jesus says. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. So it's not just about hearing about Jesus. It is about doing his word. And this applies to everyone. There's... In the everyone are those who hear the word and do it and those who hear the word and walk away unchanged. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Well, what's the rock? The rock is the bedrock. In other words, this wise person has dug through the sand, through the soil to get to the bedrock where he knows he can build on something that's not going to shift. He's going to build on something that is not going to wash away when the floods come. It's going to be secure enough to be stable so that when the winds get fierce, the house will not collapse. What is that bedrock? That bedrock is obedience to the Word of God. But then notice, secondly, that if you are against Christ, then you are foolish because you do not submit to the word. So throughout this chapter, Jesus is making this contrast of either being for him or being against him being truly for him, and that is embracing him truly as Savior and Lord in your heart, and that then transforms your life, or foolish being against him and just adopting some outward form of Christianity that does not make any lasting changes to your life. You're just the same old sinner you always were. You just look nicer on the outside. And maybe you've cleaned up your vocabulary a little bit by adding Jesus' name, not as a swear word, but as a, a word of praise. But when you look into the mirror of your word, you don't see a whole lot of transformation from the inside out. And that's because you have been led to believe by the devil that religion is about changing your outward behavior and hopefully eventually as you practice that new habit long enough it'll eventually get in and change your heart wrong it doesn't work that way it's that is contrary to the very way that god designed us as want ers we want we desire We do the things we do because we want the things we want. And we want the things we want because we love the things we love. We are driven by our loves. And if your heart is not transformed by the gospel to change you at the level of your loves, all you will become is a glorified Pharisee who knows the right way to talk, knows the right way to live when people are watching, but inwardly, just a corpse in a really expensive coffin. Look at verse 26. Everyone who hears these words of mine. You notice that... The beginning of verse 24 and the beginning of verse 26 are identical. Word for word. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and. One does them and he's like the wise man and then one does not do them. And he will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Now, the sand around sea, the Sea of Galilee would appear to be hard. It would get uh, kind of a thin crust over the top of it. And uh, if you've walked on any beach uh, in variety of seasons, you know how this happens. There can be this thin crust on top of the sand that appears to be... Hmm, possibly buildable. Maybe that's a buildable location. But if you go down a little bit, all you find is sand. The foolish man builds on the foundation of outward appearance and outward religion that looks safe to build on. But it's not. Because when the flood comes... The flood washes all of the sand away, not just the soft stuff, but also the crusty part on top. And the house goes out to sea. Now, it's interesting to note that Jesus does not paint this picture with any ifs, like if the rain comes, if the storm comes, if rain falls. This is reality. This is life in this fallen, broken, unstable, insecure world. Rain will fall. And when it falls, it will land upon your house. And when it lands upon your house, it will fall off of your house onto the ground and it will seep down into the ground next to your foundation. And if your foundation is only sand, it will wash it away and bye bye goes your house down the cliff and into the sea. Storms will come, rain will fall question is what's going to happen to your house when it does the only way to build your house on the solid foundation of Christ is to not just hear his words but is to live his words to obey his words that's why I've often said every time we hear the word of God we have a choice to make. We either respond to it in humble submission to its authority over our lives or we stand in judgment of it and say, "Eh, I'm not quite sure that's going to work in my scenario. My situation is unique. My temptation is unique. And yet, what does God's word say? That there is no testing there is no temptation that overtakes us that is what uncommon they're all common they're all common to us so don't think that your situation is somehow so unique that God could not have foreseen it and included biblical truth to follow in the midst of your situation. You are special, but you are not that special. <laughs> the trials that we go through are common to all of us. The question is how are we viewing God's Word? Is God's Word our authority? Do we live like it's our authority? The rain fell upon this foolish man's house. The floods came, the winds blew, beat against that house, and it fell. And great was the fall of it. But don't miss those last two verses, 28 and 29, when Jesus finished these sayings. The crowds were astonished. Why were they astonished at his teaching? because they were so used to hearing Mamsie pamsy Winnie the Pooh preaching. Do you know what Winnie the Pooh preaching is? Stuffed with fluff. That's what they were so used to. They had nothing solid to build their life on. They were amazed that here was a guy who spoke with the authority of God not like their scribes and isn't the world craving for voices that will just speak biblical common sense yeah they don't know what they're looking for but we do Well, look at James 1 because, lest you think Jesus was the only one who made this uh, point and drew this really important contrast for us, James, the half brother of Jesus, makes a really strong case in James chapter 1. And I want you to see here the point that James makes, which is this that the primary evidence. Of saving faith is whether you do the words of Christ. It's not in what you say, it's whether you do the words of Christ. James 1. 19. Know this, my beloved brothers. Now, why does he call them brothers? Well, he's writing to believers, but look back at verse 18, because here he talks about how they became brothers, and that is that of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth. In other words, God saved us through the gospel, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures or new creations. So when God saves a sinner, he does a really good job of it. That's what James is saying. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. He's getting to the heart. Therefore, Verse 21. Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So, Receive the implanted word. You already received the gospel, and through the gospel, God saved your soul. But now as a believer, continue to receive the implanted word that will then prove that you actually possess real salvation and not just a counterfeit. So the primary evidence of saving faith, James says, is whether you do the words of Christ. Now look at verse 22. This is going to sound strangely familiar to Matthew 7. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. Because if you are a hearer of the word only, then you are guilty of self-deception. Here is the doctrine of self-deception in two verses. Actually, four verses. It goes all the way to 325. Be doers of the word, not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. Listen to me. You sit under the preaching of God's word. You read your Bible. You attend Bible studies. What do you do with that word that you hear? Are you receiving it as in the implanted word with a heart of meekness so that you may do that word, that you may grow in Christ because if you're just a hearer, James says, and not a doer, you're like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once, forgets, and at once forgets what he was like. If you just hear the word, and you don't obey the word, then it makes about as much sense and it's about as effectual as looking in the mirror every morning and walking away and not doing one single thing to change the way that you look. You walk away and you forget that your hair is like over here, <laughs> like mine is on some mornings. Or that maybe it's been a few days since you shaved and that's not been on purpose. Or whatever, you fill in the blank. But, word of contrast, verse 25. If you're thinking of this passage in relation to Matthew 7, then think of it this way it's a backwards order jesus deals with the wise man first and the foolish man james deals with the foolish man first and the wise man second the one who looks into the perfect law the law of liberty and perseveres being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts he will be blessed in his talking right right he will be blessed in learning to talk the talk. He will be blessed by listening, by hearing. Mm-mm. He will be blessed in his what? Doing. In his doing. In two words, the whole book of James can be summarized. Faith works. Faith works. True, saving faith works. It changes us from the inside out. So in light of all this... I want to ask you to evaluate yourself. Don't evaluate the person sitting in front of you, behind you, next to you. Evaluate yourself. Look into the mirror of God's Word. Are you a hearer or a doer of God's Word? If you look at the general pattern of your life, what are you? Which one are you? Not saying just look at this morning or just look at last week, but what is the general pattern of your life? Are you a hearer or a doer? We'll all have times of stumbling and picking ourselves up again by the grace of God. But what is the general picture of your life? Secondly, is God's word your functional authority? You say, yeah, I believe God's word is true. I believe in the inerrancy, infallibility, and authority of Scripture. And I'm so thankful you do. But is that what fleshes itself out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday? Is the Bible your functional authority? Does it have authority over the choices that you make? Thirdly, does Scripture have the final say in your choices? Or do you and your own wisdom? When it comes to making decisions about your life, what is your final authority? Does God's word have the final say? Does God's word say, okay, these are some very clear boundaries of, of what it means to follow Christ. And I'm not going outside of those boundaries. I'm staying in God's pasture. I'm not leaping over the fence or I'm not cutting a hole in the fence to get through to do what I want to do. What is it that determines the choices you make? Your own wisdom? Or is it Scripture? And finally, as Jesus said, are you for Christ or against Him? That's the choice before every one of us when we look at Jesus for who He really is. He is Savior, He is Lord. Are we living under the functional authority of his word? Or is something else in your life the authority? Jesus challenges us. And he makes it very, very clear. The rains are going to come. The storms will come. The high winds. The rains will fall. Will you have a foundation that is rock solid because you have been developing a pattern of obeying the words of Christ? Or is Jesus just someone that you added to your life? You heard someone say, accept Jesus as your Savior and he'll go to heaven. He said, well, that sounds great. I'll take Jesus and put him in my back pocket and I'll just keep living the way I've always lived. Or did you come to Jesus seeing yourself for what you really are and what I really am? A hopeless, helpless, bankrupt sinner who desperately needs salvation. And we turn from our sin and we embrace this wonderful Savior. And He gives us new life, not just in the future. But now, a new life that continues to gradually change us from the inside out. Father, I pray that as Jesus has spoken to us this morning through his word, with his divine authority, and the Holy Spirit who wrote these words, has been ministering among us in our minds, our hearts, our wills. God, I pray that every single man, woman, boy, and girl here today will not leave this place unchanged. that you will continue the work you're doing. Lord, for those who are wise and are by the grace of God in the power of the Spirit building their lives on the foundation of obedience, would you continue to strengthen them and bless them and help them? For those who are foolish, who have been hearing but not applying, not doing, not building on the bedrock, but instead on the sand. Oh God, would you by your mercy, would you draw them to yourself? Would you just cause Jesus to be beheld as such a glorious, beautiful Savior that they will run to him today? Thank you, Father, for your mercy in Christ. Thank you for your word that never fails us. Help us to do it, we pray in Christ's name.